Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray one more time as we approach the Scriptures. Father, we consider what we have just read, and and Lord, I just pray that You would help us to collectively pause and just marvel at Your grace. Dead in sin, that's what You called us. By nature, children of wrath. And yet now through Jesus... Objects of your delight, of your salvation. We've been, we've been given such a great salvation. that will never spoil or perish or fade. And, and you've created us in Christ for good works. Good works, but you graciously prepared in advance. Our simple plea this morning is, God, help us walk in them. Give us the courage and the perspective out of the grace. This early day in May as the sun is shining to embrace your love and your power. Help us to, as we turn to your word now, behold your glory and goodness. Guard us from error. Guide us in your truth, God. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, it is uh, about T-minus six weeks until my wife Lindsay's due date with Thomas baby number six. And as you can imagine, at the Thomas household, we are knee-deep in baby names. Now, for years, one name that I have always loved is the name of the character that we've arrived at in our passage in Hebrews 11 today. It's the name Enoch. So turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 11, verse 5. As you're turning, it may not be a surprise to some of you that Lindsay just can't get on board the Enoch train. No. And I've tried. I mean, trust me, I, I've tried hard with this one. I'm like, come on, babe. What a beautiful example. It's, it's so scriptural. Enoch was a man who pleased God. Enoch was a man who walked with God. This is a great name. And she agrees that Enoch was a fantastic example of faith and life. You know, she just doesn't like how it sounds that much. And since uh, there are lots of names out there, lots of other solid options, we're continuing to work through it. And if you're curious about the name that we have in mind, or maybe just a little concerned after hearing that from me, um, you're just going to have to wait a few more weeks. We're always surprised with the gender, and we're, we're praying for a healthy, happy little, little baby. Uh, hint, it is a biblical name, so, so wait, wait and see, Lord willing, uh, he or she will be here soon. Anyway, for the past few weeks, we've been walking through Hebrews chapter 11. We've been looking at faith. What's, what's the substance of faith? The stuff faith is made of. Hebrews 11 defines faith for us and then proceeds for the balance of the chapter to give us example after example of God-breathed exemplars. These, these examples for us to follow that demonstrate not what perfect faith looks like. If you, if you work through the list as we will in the coming weeks uh, and, and, and months, you'll see some of these folks are a train wreck. But this is faith genuinely expressed, genuinely lived out in life. And last week, Benjamin, our associate pastor, uh, helped us through Hebrews 11.4 as we looked at the example of faith found in Abel. Today, our sights are on the next example here in the text, on Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So we're going way back for our example of faith and life today. Let's, let's read it together. Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6, we hear about Enoch. Let's read. By faith... Enoch was taken up, the writer of the Hebrews says, so that he uh, should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now this is astounding, this little pocket of Hebrews 11. I mean, has anyone checked lately on the mortality rate? You guys up on your statistics? My understanding is that the death rate is hovering somewhere around 100% still, right? There are 
two examples. Only two in all of Scripture reaching back to the very beginning that, that mess with the statistic of, of death. It comes for us all. All of us, no matter what our age or stage, are sure to encounter death. It's the, the wages of our sin. Physical death eventually. Spiritual death and separation from God from birth. And yet we get this one example here, two examples total in all of Scripture of human beings who lived and never died. One is our boy Enoch here, uh, and, and this is remarkable as we look into his examples today. I'm convinced the Scripture's got a lot for us to take away, a lot for us to learn. By the way, the other example who we won't be speaking about today, the other example of somebody who lived and didn't die, but was taken up directly from life to be with God is, is who, do you know? That's right, Elijah, Second King chapter 2. If you want to read about it, we get a lot of fodder, a lot more information actually on Elijah and how he was taken than we do on Enoch here. But, but Scripture tells us in our text in Hebrews 11.5 that Enoch did not see death, but that he was taken up. Now some translations in the English, like the King James Version, say that he was translated. God translated him. The actual Greek word here means to transfer. Isn't that interesting? To, to transfer or to change sides. The word can mean to carry over or to carry across. And that's precisely what happened, isn't it? Enoch was translated. He was transferred. He was carried over from one side of this temporary life to glory, to to eternal life in the presence of God. God whisked him up, as it were, to heaven. And so what I'd like us to do, since we don't have a lot to go on here on Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, is to go back to the account where we see this happening to Genesis chapter 5. So go ahead and turn there. You can keep a finger if you want in Hebrews 11, but we're going to be looking at Genesis 5. And as you're finding that, Genesis is at the beginning. I'd encourage you to, to go there. I'm just going to give you a simple outline for the balance of our time as we look at, consider the example of Enoch's life. We're going to be looking at three aspects of Enoch and his example We'll see how Enoch walked with God, particularly here in Genesis 5. We're going to see next how Enoch pleased God. That was embedded right in our initial text in Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. And lastly, we're going to end by considering Enoch's witness for God. And there's a little note about Enoch nestled in the tiny little book of Jude, which is right before Revelation at the end of, of our scriptural account. So let's, let's uh, turn our attention here to Genesis 5, where we encounter Enoch for the first time. Genesis 5, we'll pick up in verse 21 and read to the 24th verse. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Interesting number, right? Enoch walked with God, verse 24, and he was not, for God took him. Now, this is all we get. We've got to understand that this little account of Enoch here in Genesis 5 is nestled within a broader account, a, a biblical genealogy. And if you look, take a moment to do this, I'd encourage you, uh, ab above and behind this account of Enoch in your text in Genesis 5, you'll see that there's a pattern that starts to develop here in this biblical genealogy. You get the name of so-and-so, starting with Adam and then moving forward to the flood. So-and-so lived a certain number of years, and he had sons and daughters. Sometimes they're listed, sometimes they're not. And he died. And wash, rinse, repeat. We see this over and over and over. The, the next guy lived so long, he had sons and daughters, and he died. And then the next one lived so long, he had sons and daughters, and then he 
died, right? Enoch, of course, shatters this pattern like a glaring, blinding light in the middle of this genealogy. We don't quite know what to do with Enoch's example. And it is curious, I think, that we get next to nothing about the details of this guy's life, but we do get one very important thing. Look back in the text here, Genesis 5, 21 to 24, we see that the Holy Spirit thought this one little nugget about Enoch was so important that he repeated it. In this short account, he repeats it, says it twice, so that we can't possibly miss it. Two times in Genesis 5, God tells us the same thing about this guy, Enoch, and it's this, that Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. So let's, let's take a moment to build out what that means. We've been singing about it all morning. That word walk is a loaded term in Scripture. The, the actual word in the Hebrew Bible in Genesis 5 here is the Hebrew term halach. If you want to say it right, you've got to kind of get that guttural thing in your throat. Halach. And halach, or to walk, can mean literally to walk. <laughs> to, to ambulate, to move your body forward. And it often does, as people are described, moving physically in Scripture. It can also describe someone's way, the certain direction that they're headed in. And, and most commonly, this, this word halak, this, this Bible word for walk, is a metaphor. It's a picture of the way you live your life. The way you walk is really the way that you're living. And we see this on repeat all through the Scriptures. I was in 2 Kings a little bit this week, and, and we see over and over and over again these accounts of the kings of the, the people of God, the kings of Israel, and it's kind of like the, the genealogy. So-and-so reigned over Israel so many years, and we will see this phrase, and he walked in the ways of his fathers... What did that mean? He just like followed this path behind his father? No, no. He, he walked, he lived in the ways of his fathers and did not please the Lord. Right? So this, there's this sense in which the way we walk is the way we live. And we see this word walk on repeat 1,500 times in Scripture. Suffice it to say, this walking thing is a major biblical concept. This is a big deal for us as the people of God. And uh, as we, we, we seek to understand, what's it mean to, to follow the Lord? What's it mean to live a faithful life? Well, Hebrews 11 unveils this example of a guy who says he walks with God. Here's what it looks like to, to walk or live in light of God and faith in Him. Now, this is such a big deal in the Bible. I, I just spent some time in preparation, praying for you, praying for us just to be people here at Friendship Community Church who walk faithfully with God. Just reading through example after example in the Old Testament of, of walking with God. And, and I got to tell you, it, it wrecked me. I mean, I just, I, I literally at, at a certain point in my study this week had to just stop. I was overcome with emotion just thinking about the beauty and the resonance of this concept, how often God talks to us about this walking, living thing. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. The, the scriptures can so much more effectively describe walking with God than, than I can for you. So I'm just going to give you a simple sample platter. That's my objective. Give you a couple verses of walking with God from the Old Testament. I limited it to three. We, you know, 1,500 would take a while. And then three from the New Testament. So here's all we're going to do. We're just going to sit beneath God's Word and ask the Lord to, to show us as we read example after example of this sample platter, if you will, walking with God to, to reveal to us elements of what this walking or living in light of God and faith in Him means. Now, this is going to be a lot of flipping. We're going to bounce around for these examples. So I've just put these ones up on the screen uh, to save you some paper cuts. All right. The first one is Psalm 8611. The psalmist writes in Psalm 8611, Teach me your way, Yahweh. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk. That I may walk in your truth. 
And then the ESV renders that next part, unite my heart to to fear your name. It sounds a little clunky to me. I grew up with a 1984 NIV. It said, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. It's the same concept, right? God, the psalmist is praying, God, give me a heart that is united, that is undivided in my devotion to you. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? And this is what it means to, to walk, to live in the light of God's truth. Let me give you another example. Isaiah 65, verse 2. I spread out my hands. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. I spread out my hands all the day, God tells us, to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Our walk can be faithful. It can be undivided as we seek to trust the Lord. And it can be a way that is grievous to the Lord. Think, just think about the imagery here. God says, I'm like standing here, spreading out my hands, waiting for you to come to embrace me, to walk in my ways, but you persist in walking away and following an unfaithful course. One more from the Old Testament. Again, we, we could go all day, but we'll, we'll, we'll stop here and then Get some New Testament examples. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel of the new covenant promise, which we we live in and enjoy by God's grace today. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 26. God says, "I, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, that rocky, stony heart, that recalcitrant heart that resists me in my ways. God says, I want to remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you, aren't you glad? And cause you to walk. Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice here the connection between walking with God, even in the Old Testament, this connection between walking with God and the Spirit of God. That's why we see in Galatians that we're to walk in the Spirit, and when we do, we bear fruit in accordance with who God is, what that Spirit is in our lives. So, so we see some examples, right? Just this little sample platter from the Old Testament. Let's, let's jump to the New Testament quickly and we'll see the same principle writ large throughout its pages. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. This is a real punchy one. Kind of bottom lines our faith, doesn't it? Paul writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, for we walk by faith. Not by sight. We walk. We, clearly, he's not talking about we, we move through life. We, we don't stumble on things. No, he's talking about the way that we live. We live not by what we see around us, not by the things that we perceive happening in our circumstances. We navigate through life and faith by keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord. That's the way we walk. The how of our walking, if you will. Just a couple more. Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Have you received Him? Is Christ Jesus yours? Have you accepted? Do you believe with heart, soul, mind, and strength, that Jesus Christ, His death on the, on the cross for your sins, His resurrection from the grave is your only source of eternal hope and confidence. Are you in Christ? That's what it means to be a Christian. If you believe in Him, if you own that good news, that gospel truth, here's the instruction for you, friend. Walk in Him. Live in light of who He is. Follow His ways one more we just finished a study through first thessalonians and at the end of that beautiful epistle that letter paul writes in first thessalonians 4 1 finally then brothers we ask and urge you in the lord jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to 
walk, replace that with live, how you ought to live and to please God just as you're doing, but you do so more and more. See, there's, there's this more and more aspect to our walk with God. None of us ever reach a point where we cap it off and say, all right, that's enough Jesus for me. Thank you very much. No. No, as we're walking in the light of God's grace and goodness, as we're being conformed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus, our Savior and our King, He invites us to wade deeper into the sea of His love. Do it more and more. What are we doing? We're walking. And that walking, you see here in 1 Thessalonians 4, is connected to another concept. This, this is important. I want us to see this. There is a connection between our walking, our living with God, and pleasing Him. I mean, isn't that the connection that we made in our first passage in Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, as it's, as it's airing out Enoch as an example of what it means to live faithfully, connects these dots between the guy who walks and God, Almighty God, think about this, being pleased. Let's read it one more time. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to do that. It's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this man who walked with God, that's the label Genesis 5 slaps on Enoch's life. He, he walked with God. He repeats it, walked with God. This man who walked with God is commended in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 as one who pleased God. friends, This is no coincidence. In fact, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, we call it the Septuagint, the word, that, that word for walking with God is literally the same exact word for pleased God. Those two words are interchangeable in the biblical text, in the, in the Greek. Walk God equals pleased with God. Or sorry, walked with God equals pleased God. So you can take these two concepts and see that they are interchangeable in a way, inseparably linked. Paul, when he opens up the book of Colossians, which is, oh man, you just need a good dose of hope and encouragement. If you just need to see Jesus afresh, friend, read Colossians. I mean, Christ is on every page of Scripture. He's, he's the fulfillment of it all. And man, I, I can't find a, another place in Scripture where the Christology, where the, the, the image of Christ exalted so highly. Colossians, the book of Colossians, this letter that the Apostle Paul pens, again, through the inspiration of the Spirit, says this. It connects these two dots about walking with God and pleasing your Maker. Let's, just, let's read how, how that book opens. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. So from the day we heard, heard about your faith, Paul writes, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Do you see the connection? Walking with God, and when you do that, you are fully pleasing to him, Bearing fruit, Paul continues, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Of course, we see these two principles, walking with the Lord and pleasing the Lord, modeled in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, the Savior, the, the King. John eight twenty nine. this is Jesus speaking. He says, He who sent me, now who's that? who sent Jesus, God the Father, He who sent me is with me. Jesus says, He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. So let's just ask the obvious question this morning. Is that the aim of your life? 
You ever think about that? Pleasing God? Is that the, the aim, the objective of your Christian walk? First John tells us in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, by this we know that we are in Him. How do you know that this is real for you, that you're in Christ? Well, here's one way you know, but based upon the authority of Scripture, whoever says he abides in Him, in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Let me give you a real simple example. And uh, if you spend any time around me, you'll, you'll hear this sooner or later. I, I was a farm boy growing up at 250 acres in upstate New York, and uh, we did a lot of hunting uh, with, with my dad up there. And, uh, and I, so I'm the oldest of a big old family, and, uh, and it was not an uncommon scene for me to be following dad in the woods and it's cold up there, upstate New York. We're, we're grumbling about the cold spring and, and the late snow. Man, I mean, it's just, I mean, subtract like 15, 20 degrees, right? So, so the Adirondack Mountains, in the foothills of those, you've got our, our farm property. And as we would be out walking and trudging through the woods, you've got little old me following Dad. If you've seen him, he's like 6'2". He's one of those guys who's 6'2". He looks like he's like six. A hundred, right? He just he just carries himself big, and he's got these big old strides. And I remember as a little kid, I don't know how old I would be, trying to follow Dad through the the snow, trudging through the woods. I found out real real easy or real soon when you're following out, you're trying to keep up with him through down trees and getting over stumps and sticks and getting hit in the face with what do you call him here? Briars in New York, they're jaggers, right, in Pittsburgh? You know, the best way I found to navigate through the woods was to do my best to put my footprints in his steps. If I just followed dad's steps, if I stepped where he stepped, gosh, what a beautiful way for me to learn how to navigate through the woods. I know it's a simple example, but, but we're told, do that with Jesus. Right now, now, Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, eternally perfect and existent. You can't be Jesus. But you're invited, friend, to walk with Him, to follow His life and His example. That's what it means once we're saved by grace through faith. No, nothing you did. Benjamin read that to you. Get off your high horse. You're not special. Did, did I burst your bubble of self-esteem? Do I need to build that back up a little bit? Nothing special about you. That's what God said. We're all made in the image of God. The reason why you're saved by grace through faith is because of God's goodness. Because He reached down first and loved you in Christ. And now that you're saved, now that you're walking with Jesus, what do you got to do? Well, you, you put your feet where His were. You model your life after Him. You walk with God. And Enoch is a beautiful example for us of what that means. All right, I got one more point, but before we get there, let's make sure we're boiling this down. Let's hit some, some simple application points before we move on. Assuming, friend that you are operating, that you are living your life through the lens of faith in Jesus. Remember, you need faith in Jesus to be pleasing to God. Assuming that that's the case for you, two simple questions I'll ask you for, for your walk, to inform your walk today. Here, what is it, March 6th, March something, 2022? Thanks, 8th. May? I can't give a calendar date. I tried to give a zip code a week or two ago. Oh, boy. Roll, roll with me. Roll with me. Two questions that inform our walk with the Lord. First question. What do you need to start doing to walk with Jesus more closely? Is there something, friend, something that you know about 
that you need to start doing, or perhaps you need to double down on more faithfully, more consistently, in order to, to more closely walk with Jesus. Prayer, saturating yourself in His Word. How can you walk in His ways, friend, if you don't know what His ways are? How do we know what the ways of the Lord are? Well, He's graciously revealed them to us, and this is a big old book saturate yourself in the Word. Are you doing that? Are you spending time abiding with Him in prayer? Maybe there's some other things that that you just know, gosh, I I know I need to do this. If you want to be walking with the Lord in a way that's pleasing to Him, what do you need to start doing? Ask yourself that question. Through the lens of faith to please the Lord. Now let's just flip that coin over. We're keeping this simple this morning. What do you need to stop doing to walk more faithfully with God? Are there things in your life like a stumbling block that got you tripping over your course that you navigate here on this side of the sun? Are there things that, that, that get in the way that impede your walk with the Lord? Are there sins? Scripture calls sin, at one point, the sin which so easily entangles you. I can relate to that, can you? You got some sin tripping you up, entangling you? Friend, by the grace of God, put it to death. Walk by the Spirit. When we begin to say yes to God, it's a twofold thing. Christianity is not only say no, just say no. That never works, right? Vacuums don't exist in real life. You can't just delete the sin from your life and expect to be good in God's eyes. No, you, you need to say no to sin by saying yes to Him. So do you see how these things work together? What things do you need to start doing to walk faithfully with Jesus? And as you begin leaning into the Lord... You, start, you stop doing the things that you've seen from the world as just fool's gold, right? We always, I always cite that. This is like one of my favorite lines from, from the old hymns. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When you're looking at Jesus resplendent in His beauty and His goodness, then, friend, You find the strength, you find the courage, you you find the perspective to say no to the sin that so easily entangles and trips you up. Just two simple questions. I can't answer this for you. Be honest with yourself. Are there things that you need to start doing to walk more faithfully with Jesus? Are there things you need to stop doing in Christ to, to please Him? Is that your aim? To please and to abide with your maker. It's what it means to walk with the Lord. And Enoch is a beautiful example for us. One more point. I'd like us to see Enoch's witness. We've seen his walk, a little bit about his walk. We don't get much. We know he walked with the Lord. We've seen that he was pleasing to God. That's his commendation. Now, we, there's one more passage of Scripture that tells us a little bit about Enoch. And this one's wild. So flip to the end of your Bibles. Revelation is the very last book in Scripture. And right before this is a one-chapter book called Jude. A little letter called Jude. So short, it doesn't even have chapters. You just, you just get verses. So Jude, I'm going to invite you to look at Jude, verses 14 to 16. And we see our man, Enoch, highlighted again. And I love this. We're given here in Jude some additional information about Enoch that we didn't have in Genesis 5 or even in Hebrews 11. In a nutshell, if I, as you're flipping there, if I could distill what Jude is saying about Enoch, Enoch's message, it's this. Buckle up because God's coming. And He's coming in power. Isn't it interesting? We know almost nothing about Enoch's life. But friends, you are holding, if you've got a Bible in your lap or on your phone, you are holding his words in your hand. 
How wild is that? He's the seventh from Adam. We don't know anything really about him, the stuff of his life, but we have his words that he said to us. This faith we live is remarkable, once for all passed down from beginning to end by the grace and providence of God. Let's read Enoch's words, Jude 14 to 16. It was about these, Jude writes, who's he talking about? He's talking about false teachers and ungodly people. It was about these that Enoch, ding, 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 Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. And we get his prophecy. How cool is this? Saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they've committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Whew. Lay it on, Enoch. You've heard it said, haven't you? That phrase about talking the talk and walking the walk, that your, that your life matches up with your words. Well, Enoch did both. Just look at his proclamation here. In the midst of a dark and wicked world. How many times do you count ungodly in these verses? I, I count four. He just... God's coming, and he's bringing in his justice wrath against the ungodly, those who are not walking in his ways, those who are not in alignment with him. Enoch is speaking to a generation, to a world, to a culture and society around him, and he's boldly proclaiming, this is bold, would you agree? Boldly proclaiming God's truth. Press pause for a minute. He's the seventh from Adam. This is a long time ago. And yet he's prophesying about when? Behold, look, he comes. With 10,000 of his holy ones, big number of his holy ones, to execute judgment. What's he talking about? He's, Adam is still alive. Do your math in Genesis 5. Adam is still walking on the earth when Enoch is here. He's heard the stories. He knows. And he's reaching ahead by the power of the Holy Spirit and giving us a picture of the end. The culmination, the consummation of the return of Jesus. Proclaiming to a hostile culture God's truth. Enoch did not shrink back. I pray that God just gives us the eyes collectively as a church, individually as people of God to see this. For Enoch, walking with God, looked like testifying to the truth of God. Yes? including his justice and his judgment in the midst of a world that was rejecting him. Sound familiar? For Enoch, walking with God looked like testifying to God's truth in the midst of a world that was rejecting him. I think it's safe to say then, for Enoch, walking with God was not always a smooth path. The road that he walked to follow Jesus, not paved, not broad. In, in, in fact, what Jesus call the way, he's the way. He says, it's not broad, it's narrow. It's a narrow path. And sometimes, friends, this walk, certainly the walk that Enoch walked in faith, and perhaps you can relate to some degree or another. Sometimes this walk of faith 
is beset by danger and hardship along the way. And sometimes the wind blows and the elements rage on this path. Enoch's words are a clarion call to us. Enoch's example. Because just like him, like Enoch, we too proclaim the return of our soon coming king. Even, listen, especially in the dark world around us. Now, am I advocating that you should leave here and just go be a colossal jerk? No, of course I'm not saying that. We speak as the people of God, truth and love. Remember, Christian, your message is a message of good news. That's what the gospel means. It's a message of light. And yet... Let's set our expectations appropriately. We carry the light into the darkness. And I am regularly taken aback, regularly, by how surprised we are. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in this too. How surprised I am, how surprised we are in 2022 when our witness, when our living, when our walking with God is received with static. <gasps> it's like, we don't have a category for that. Friends, Enoch's example reminds us that God is not calling us to a kind of test tube Christianity. Our faith is not meant to be lived out in some pristine Christian lab, some sterile setting where all the variables are controlled. No. In this world, you will have trouble. That seems pretty black and white, doesn't it? Jesus talking. Take heart. I've overcome the world. I think sometimes I get bent out of shape because I, I don't know why. This is the, like the gravitational pull maybe of our culture, our, uh, the, the milieu of the world in which we live wants to say, if I'm doing the right things, then it'll all work out. If I'm following the Lord, if I'm walking in the ways of God, then it's going to be smooth sailing. Have you read this thing? Smooth sailing? No, that's not the promise. The promise is that you get God, you get his spirit to walk with you through the ups and downs. Though the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, God's people can walk with him with courage and purpose. Yes, even joy. And I constantly forget I had spiritual amnesia. I get the phone call. Hear about the prognosis. I slog through the remarkable mediocrity of my own life and the tension of my own sin and struggles. And I want to throw up my hands and say, what is this? What's broken? What's wrong? Oh, friend, read your Bible. Walking with God, just like for Enoch, just like for Abraham, just like for Moses, just like, just pick someone. Remember your Savior died and was risen to life. The light of the world stepped into the darkness and said, they don't get it. If they didn't embrace the light of the world when he came, how do you think, friend, you will be received? in a world that is sometimes outrightly hostile to the truth that God has given us to carry and to proclaim. Let's set our expectations appropriately. I uh, want to end just with an with a illustration of this, just a personal example of walking with God and faith, faith not being lived out in some sort of pristine Christian laboratory. We don't live in this test tube kind of Christianity. It's, it's real life. In our walk, often we encounter things that we don't expect. 
hardships and difficulties. Let me, let me show you some pictures. I think we got them ready. Here's the first one. My wife and I met at a Christian sports camp called Summer's Best Two Weeks. I know, it's a lame name, but it's an awesome place. Summer's Best Two Weeks, incredible. By the way, they came here. They'll, they'll probably come back again. Some of our kids are going uh, to the Laurel Highlands, not far away, to Summer's Best Two Weeks, a fantastic place to grow in the Lord, uh, just to explore God's creation, to learn how to compete and to lose, to win with grace. It's a fantastic place. My wife and I met there as counselors. And there's, there's an element, some rope, rock climbing, that kind of stuff at Summer's Best. And, uh, and this one that you can see, if you can make out the image, is called the Faith Pole. Well, that's kind of a fancy name for a very rude exercise. It's a telephone pole, right? Stuck in the ground. And they put spikes in the side of this telephone pole. And you know what you do for the Faith Pole? You climb up to the very top of the telephone pole. Here's the next picture. When you get to the top... I mean, you're hooked in, right? I mean, it's okay to send your kids. When you get to the top, you then have to stand up. I mean, the telephone pole's diameter is like this. You got to stand up on that thing. And by the way, I don't know if you can see that the, the rungs stop, and it's kind of awkward, right? There's like a step that you've got to make, and it's really, uh, you kinda, you're up there pretty high. You see the trees in the background? Here's what comes next. Once you balance on the top of this telephone pole, there is suspended a certain amount of distance away. I don't know what it is. Maybe you remember how far away it is? No. There's a trapeze bar. And this is why they call it the faith pole. You're standing on top of a telephone pole that you've just climbed, and you jump, you make a leap of faith, as it were, and grab on to that trapeze bar and then you're stuck now they they got you hooked on right they belay you down it's fantastic it's it, it's a lot of fun i i remember as counselors we had to be trained to do this stuff before you know we do it with kids right and um i mean it's a little frightening right you see see the trees there you're up pretty high I remember psyching myself up, right? I'm, I'm just like rehearsing this in my mind. I mean, it's really kind of simple. And, and these, these ropes that are holding you, man, they could like pull a vehicle, right? I mean, I'm, I'm safe. It's going to be fine, right? So climb up the telephone pole. Okay, I, I got it. I can, I can do the thing. Here's what I didn't account for when I did the faith pole for the first time. I started climbing up those rungs. All's going well. And then as I get to the very top, and I'm trying to step on the top of that thing, I'm thinking, nobody told me that if it rains the night before, which it had, this thing is wet, right? This thing's a little slippery, right? Like, I mean, I get it, right? I, I, under, I understood my task, right? But, but it wasn't this like easy, like no, the elements come, right? And the pole was wet. And you know the other thing I didn't account for? As I'm trying to stand on the top of this telephone pole, the wind, I mean, it looks easy, right? But the, the wind is blowing here, like trying to balance it. I'm thinking, I'm freaked out. No one told me about the wind. No one told me about the rain and the slick wood. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say your faith is like that. As we walk with the Lord, we know trials and tribulations are bound to come. Jesus promised them to you. You want to claim the promises of God? Mm. You should. Set your expectations appropriately. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know what's going to happen. But friend, you are going to encounter significant hardship. And sometimes it's going to take you by surprise. No one told me this pole was wet. No one told me the wind was going to blow. You see, as we walk through life, the walk of faith, the walk, the walk of faith in Jesus, which is pleasing to God, as we seek to follow his example, prayerfully informed by his word, we lean into him, come what may, through the trials, through the unexpected circumstances that life faces. It wasn't a major deal, but last night, my, my wife, happy Mother's Day, babe, she, she was at Children's Hospital at 2.30 a.m., because our oldest son, who had staples in his head from wrestling, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, he's okay. 
And it, was infect, it was infected, and they needed to go check it out, and so it, it, it's all right, right? But that's not how Lindsay wanted to usher in her Mother's Day morning, 2.30 a.m. at Children's Hospital. She looked pretty good up here, didn't she? What's my point? In Hebrews 11, God graciously tells us what faith is. It's confidence. It's the evidence. We've been over this. It's the evidence, the substance of things hoped for. It's confidence that though you can't see God, you haven't seen him. I haven't either. He exists and he rewards those who seek him. So friend, walk. Walk in his ways. Cling to his word. Be men and women like Enoch. He's given to you as a Holy Spirit-inspired example as a man, as a woman who walks with God, who seeks, whose desire is to please your God. And finally, let's be people here at Friendship Community Church who proclaim the return of our soon coming King, even and especially in light of a difficult, sometimes hostile world. We carry the light because God told us to. And his love, his grace in Jesus is that big. May we be purveyors of the joy of the Lord this Mother's Day. Remember, let's walk with Jesus. He's worth it. Lord, we come to you in prayer thanking you for the truth of your word, how it helps us to level set through the problems and the, the, the tension of life as we navigate it. God, we need you, and we pray that you would indeed make us men, make us women, make us children in Jesus like Enoch who walk with you, who seek to put our feet in your footsteps, Rabbi, teacher, Lord, master. Give us a joy to obey you, to follow you, to please you with our lives. And Father, would you give us the courage would you give us the perspective, Lord, when we encounter things we had not planned on to continue walking the narrow path which you have graciously laid out for us in Jesus. We know you give us everything we need, all things for life and godliness. Give us the grace to follow you and to do it with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.